Our first scripture reading is from the book of Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 24. We're going to have to pick up at verse 15. It's page 546 in that blue Bible. We're in that part of Proverbs now, as we read this, that are not necessarily the words of Solomon, but the words of the wise. There's two of those sections. This is one of them. But there's still the words of older wise friends to younger wise friends. And you'll hear that as he reads through here. So beginning of verse 15 of Proverbs 24. Lie not in wait as a wicked man as a wicked man against the dwelling of the righteous. Do no violence to his home. For the righteous falls seven times and rises again. But the wicked stumble in times of calamity. Do not rejoice when your enemy falls, and let not your heart be glad when he stumbles, lest the Lord see it and be displeased, and turn away his anger from you, from him. Fret not yourself because of evildoers, and be not envious of the wicked. For the evil man has no future. The lamp of the wicked will be put out. My son, fear the Lord, fear Yahweh and the king, and do not join with those who do otherwise. For disaster will arise suddenly from them, and who knows the ruin that will come from them both, from both the Lord and the king. Wise words. And so now we turn in our Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 2, beginning at verse 13. If you're visiting, we've been doing a series through 1 and 2 Peter, Memories, Manners, and Mandates for God's Minority People. We took a little break over Christmas and New Year's, and so we're right back at it, and we're just picking up right where we left off, 1 Peter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor's, as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Fear God. Honor the emperor. And all that I've read to you from the Old and New Testament is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. O Lord, who has set us free, aid us in learning to use our freedoms to honor you and aid others, and not as a cover-up for evil. Amen. You may be seated. So there are certain notes in the back of your worship guide uh, there for you, some space to look at, to, to write notes if you want to do that. In 1861, in 1861, Major Robert Anderson was a Kentuckian. He was a former slave owner, but had gotten rid of his slaves. And though his sentiments lay with the rising Confederate states, at this point the Confederacy was not yet a national entity or whatever. There were states that were in the Confederacy they had joined together, and there were others still looking at seceding, and they hadn't made any decisions yet one way or the other. But his state was in that mix trying to figure out what to do. And so though his sentiments lay with the rising Confederate states, yet his integrity, his honor, his orders, and his loyalty to the Union kept him firm. And so he manned Fort Sumter. 
He led his little detachment there at Fort Sumter, a fort that was supposed to be able to house 650 soldiers, but he only had 80-something. It was a fort actually set up to, to withstand long bombardments and such. It was really well built. And so he manned the fort with his 80-something without reinforcements, without resupplies, until he had no food left for his detachment and endured a 33-hour heavy bombardment that destroyed part of the fort and set the interior on fire, and then he surrendered. And that was the moment that officially launched the Civil War. But Major Anderson's kind of integrity impresses me. His inclinations were toward the Confederacy, but he knew he had sworn an oath to the Union, and he was determined to be part of maintaining the Union. So especially in the face of the hostilities, in, in face of the political intrigue, in face of the doubts, in face of the slander, the news that was misused against him, in face of the difficult situations, he stood his ground. This kind of integrity, my friends, is what, Paul, is what Peter wants for God's minority people as he addresses us here in chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Now, as we look at verses chapter 2, 13... We need to see that this whole section runs from 2.13 all the way to 3.12. Let me make my point. Notice how in verse 13, the very first words are, be subject. Notice again then in verse 18, servants, be subject. Notice again in chapter 3, verse 1, likewise, wives, be subject. And then it's verse 7, likewise, husbands. So he's still continuing the thought all the way from chapter 2.13, likewise, to the husbands. And then finally, verse 8, chapter 3, verse 8, finally, all of you have unity of mind, etc. So all of this whole section fits together. Peter is addressing, and I hope you have your Bibles open here so you can see what I'm talking about. Peter is addressing specific qualities in the Christian in our Christian lives and a be subject to quality specifically. So if you'd let me use an example, I meant to bring up a funnel. I didn't bring up a funnel. Oh, well. But if you can picture in your mind a funnel, right? So what's the top part of the funnel? It's a big mouth, right? The big mouth. Big mouth. Right? The big mouth of the funnel. And then it, what does it do? What does the funnel do? Narrows down, but you don't want really the big mouth necessarily. That catches everything. You want to get down to where? The little spout down here that, that pours everything effectively where you want it. Chapter 2, verse 13 through chapter 3, verse 12 is a funnel. Chapter 2, 13 through 17 is the big picture. It's about our civil and societal engagements in the world. And then in chapter 2, 15 through 20, or 18 through 25, it gets narrow. Specifically, Christian slaves. This is how you actually, as, as slaves who are Christians, how you implement what I just said in verses 13 through 17 in your situation. And then it gets narrower. Chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Wives, husbands, here's how this works in your home. And then it gets down to the primary point, the very end of it, the spout. And that's chapter 3, 8 through 12, which I think is actually the heart and the center of this whole letter. Likewise, all of you in the church, in God's house, 
Here's how you conduct yourselves here. Think of a funnel. As you think of chapter three, chapter 2, verse 13, through chapter 3, 12. And I will bring a funnel next time to prove my point again. <laughs> so there are four points here, and you can see those in your worship guide. And we're just going to walk right through this passage. So it's very important you have your Bibles open to 1 Peter 2, 13 through 17. The first thing that Peter does is he tells us we're subjects. Subjects. And notice that the first place Peter begins is in this bigger, larger realm of our civil and societal engagements. And he starts right where we must start. Be subject for the Lord's sake. Notice what Peter didn't say. Be subject for the sake of your safety. He didn't say that. Be subject for the sake of your own prosperity. Did he say that? No. Be subject for the sake of your own convenience. Does he say that? No. Be subject for the future of your children and grandchildren. Does he say that? It's be subject for the Lord's sake. Number one, priority one, be subject for the Lord's sake. What does that mean for the Lord's sake? Subject for the Lord's sake. It means be subject out of consideration of and regard for the Lord. Out of consideration and regard for the Lord's honor in a society that is quick to dishonor Him. Out of consideration and regard for the Lord's reputation in a world that is quick to run His reputation through the mud. Out of consideration and regard for the Lord do these things. And so you have to ask the next question, well, which Lord is Peter talking about? That may not make sense to us in 21st century America, but it made great sense in Peter's day. Because there was a chap in Rome sitting on the big seat, the emperor, who told everybody who would ask him and those who didn't want to know, I am Kyrios Kai Soter, I am Lord and Savior. And so for Peter to tell you this, he has somebody specifically in mind, and it's not the emperor. Who is the Lord that we're, that who's, for whose sake we're to be subject to these human institutions? It's the Lord, back in verses 4 and 6 through 6, it's the Lord who is rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to the Father. It's the Lord by whom we have been ransomed out of our slave market situation or our, or our hostage situation of the futile ways that we've learned from our forebears, chapter 1, 18 and 19. It's the Lord who was raised from the dead so that the Father then caused us to be, raped, to, to be born again to a living hope through that resurrection. That's the Lord for whose sake we do these things. So therefore, because of Jesus, who he is, and what he has done, and because, go back and look at verses 9 and 10 here in chapter 2, because of what he has now made us, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Because once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you did not know mercy, but now you know mercy. Because of what he did for us. Because of Jesus and because of what he has done and has made us. Then we're to be subject to, we're to be submissive to every human institution. 
That's what Peter says to every human institution. It's a very broad category. Should be clear the applications, but Peter wants to be even clearer. Whether it be to the emperor as supreme, supreme within the human institutions, not supreme over the universe, because that's the Lord to whom, but for whose sake you are being subject to these things, right? The emperor is only supreme in the human institutions. To the emperor, whether to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. Be subject for the Lord's sake to these human institutions, especially the emperor, the governor. Now, good reformed people and Americans, both, will be quick to remind me Yes, but only when the governing authorities don't command us to violate God's law. And of course, you're correct. There's no beef with me on this. In fact, there's no beef with Peter. It's exactly what Peter said to the civil or religious authorities that he stood before in Acts 4 and in Acts 5. I don't know if I gave you the references, but here they are. In Acts chapter 4, verses 19 through 20, and Acts 5, verse 29, where he says on those two separate occasions, basically, you decide if it's right for us to obey you, but whatever, we're going to do what God says. And then again in Acts chapter 5, he says, we must obey God rather than men. That's who wrote those verses. There's no beef here. There's no debate. You're right. But we have a couple of problems here. On the one hand, sometimes some of God's people are just too hasty to run to the be subject side of things. And they forget the other side, that we must obey God rather than men side of things. I mean, that was a problem in the Reformation. Erasmus was on our side in so many ways. Erasmus agreed, he was a big churchman, he agreed with Luther that the Pope was wrong and that the church had gone wrong, and yet, you misapplied this passage, but i got to be subject to him, so I'm going to submit. And that happened not only there with Erasmus, it happened with King Henry VIII and many, many others. There was too often, too many ran to the be subject side of things. And forgot the, we must obey God rather than them. Yes, my friends, we are to do all that we can to have our conduct, verse 12, what we looked at two weeks ago, three weeks ago, to have our conduct honorable before the majority culture. But we must always remember that there will be seasons when we will need to do what is good and right as God defines good and right, no matter what the majority culture or the civil government mandates. Ah, but a word of caution. We better make sure, dead sure, that our civil disobedience is really called for. That it's really about God's directions and God's laws and not about our preferences and prejudices. My concern is that much of the talk that I've been hearing of civil disobedience the last several years seems to be built more on preferences and prejudices backed up by rumors and specious news sources that support those predetermined preferences and prejudices and have very, very, very little to do with God's principles. We need to make sure, if we're going to do that, that it is really legitimately because 
of what God requires. And not just because I don't like this president. And that was said under both the previous and this one. And because I don't like this president, I refuse to do what they say. That's a preference and a prejudice. And I've heard it from both of the last two presidents. We need to make sure if we do it, that it is really only solely for the sake of the Lord, because we're to be subject for the Lord's sake to those institutions. On the other hand, that was the word of caution. On the other hand, some of God's people get so quick to run to the yes, but qualifications that sometimes we're not very good with the manners and the mandates given to us here. We are to be subject for the sake of Christ to these civil authorities. One of my favorite stories, and it's for the all, it's for the reasons that nobody ever talks about, has to do with wicked King Ahab in 1 Kings 18, 1 through 16. You see, wicked King Ahab's right-hand man was Obadiah, a God-fearing man who risked life and career for the Lord. You may remember the story. Ahab loved to kill prophets. He wanted to wipe out every preacher he could find. And so he sends out his militia to go take care of them, his NSA or whatever it was. He sends them all out to go wipe them out. But what does Obadiah do? Obadiah obeys Ahab in every way he can, except there, because there he's crossed the line. And so Obadiah takes 50 prophets and hides them in a cave, finds 50 more, hides them in that cave, feeds them, gives them water, protects them, and disobeys at that one point. He obeys in every way he can, King Ahab, and is his right-hand man. Can you imagine those committee meetings? But he will not cross the line. And notice he doesn't grandstand. He didn't go onto Twitter or social media and say, look at how righteous I am, how I've stood for the cause of God. It would have been the end of his life if he died. Anyway, Ahab, I love Obadiah there in 1 Kings 18. For the Lord's sake, kind of like Obadiah, we're to be subject to every human institution, including the emperor and the governor. There's a second reason we're to do this. The first is for the Lord's sake. The second reason is because, as he says at the end of verse 14, it's that it's just plain good for society. What's the governor for? To punish those who do evil and praise those who do good. That's where societies flourish. When evil is punished and good is praised. It's just good for society for us to be this way. Now, my friends... Undoubtedly, civil magistrates fail in these areas of greater and lesser to greater and lesser degrees, no doubt. There are godly men in office who fail all the time because it's hard being in office. And if you don't know that, go run for office and then come back and give us a report. It's hard. There's just so many working pieces. So some magistrates fail, many fail in these areas greater and lesser degrees. In most countries, and throughout the vast sum of human history, there was nothing that the governed could do about it. Nothing. Now, in a limited way, though, 
You can because that is part of the American version of the human institutions. Our founders set up how many forms of government? How many offices of government? Three. Do you remember why? Why did they set those up? Did they trust humans? No. No. Even the deists knew that total depravity was a real live being or entity or whatever, right? They didn't trust humans, their own party or the others. And so they set up the three forms of government for a reason, for checks and balances. And so though they established us as a republic, which is supposed to be a rule of law that is impartial, may it stay that way, Lord, yet they also handed us, if you will, a democratic republic by voting, by town hall meetings, through the courts, by means of the three forms of government, by running for office ourselves, and so forth. We have more say. We have more say in our society than Peter did in his day. And so, if we have time, as we have time, as we see fit, we should be engaged in those ways. But at every step, we should be known as those who, for the Lord's sake, are subject to these human institutions for the good of our society. But then Peter gives us another reason for pursuing this course, and it has to do with silence. It's verse 15. Here, Peter gives us another reason to be subject to these human institutions, and this reason takes us, actually, first off, Back to verse 12. Remember verse 12. Keep your conduct amongst the Gentiles, the majority culture, honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. He's back at that verse, but he puts it a little bit differently here in verse 15. Be subject for the Lord's sake to these human institutions, for this is the will of God. Purpose statement. That. By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Peter puts it point blank. Submitting to human institutions is doing good, says Peter. That's what he calls it. By doing good. Well, what do you mean by doing good? Well, I just told you, for the Lord's sake, submitting to these human institutions. That is doing good. Submitting to human institutions is doing good, which clearly implies the opposite then. That to not submit to these human institutions is to walk outside of God's will, I'll come back to that in a moment, and to do the opposite of good. Further, notice that foolish people will act against us, and foolish people will accuse us in their ignorance. Therefore, your actions... These doing good actions of, for the Lord's sake, submitting to these human institutions will help to silence their ignorance. Now, I've been reading Acts in the morning in my home for my morning devotions, and I'm struck by how often Paul puts to the, puts the silence the ignorance of foolish people in court. In Acts 13, verses 4 through 12, when he was hauled before Sergius, or when he came before Sergius Paulus, or Acts 17, verses 18 through 21, when he was dragged by the Jews before Gallio at Corinth, 
or during his long, long, over two year stay with Felix and then Festus and his time with Agrippa, how often he was accused of doing evil. And yet the magistrates could find nothing he had done as bad. And the foolish people were silenced. Lastly, I want you to notice how Peter says it here, for this is God's will. Now, God will likely never inform you of what job you should take up or what university or college you should go to. They have, don't expect the heavens to open up and lightning bolts to strike. That may not be a good day to happen. But my friends, without a shadow of a doubt, God's will for you in that job or at that college or whatever is that wherever you are employed or wherever you are going to school, it should be along with his be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. You know that's God's will for you because Peter says it. And remember, Peter is not giving you advice and opinions. Peter is the hand-picked spokesperson of Jesus. That means these words are Jesus' words. And if, you don't, if we don't like them, we need to take them up with Jesus. This is God's will for us to be this way. Because it's good. In fact, it's a matter of integrity, very much like Major Anderson's integrity displayed there at Fort Sumter. And this kind of integrity helps to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Then Peter gives us a gospel-shaped perspective to all of this, and it encompasses us as servants in verse 16. Look at verse 16. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Now, Peter here is not talking about our civil liberties. He's talking about our gospel liberation. As those, chapter 1, verse 18 and 19, as those who have been set free from our slavery, our hostage situation, that we've inherited from our forebears, set free by the precious blood of Christ, we're a free people. We're a free people. But notice that he adds this injunction, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. If you'll look back to the passage we read before the confession of sin in Galatians 5, verse 13, Paul has the exact similar statement there in 5, 13. He says, for you are called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I find it intriguing that Peter and Paul Make these statements that are so closely parallel, they can be like a tongue and groove kind of carpentry piece. They just fit together. Free, don't use, misuse your freedom, serve. The same three concepts in both verses. What that tells me is that both Peter and Paul knew of people in their day who professed faith in Jesus the Messiah, but misused, misused their gospel liberation to go serve themselves as an opportunity of the flesh. 
They misuse their gospel liberation for the purposes of serving their own. And here I'm referring back and echoing 1 Peter 2, 1, to further their own malice-driven, deceit-driven, hypocrisy-driven, envy-driven, slander-driven selves. And so Peter says, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil. It's an it's a important injunction here. Making sure that we really are using our liberty properly. And so how do you use your liberty property? Both verses tell you to serve God and to serve one another. Our liberty in Jesus is to serve, not to satisfy my selfishness. And so lastly, then Peter wraps up our civil involvement with a summary. Verse 17. Verse 17 is a summary. Peter ends his manners and mandates for our civil and societal involvement with a summary series of instructions that actually encompass verse 11 through verse 17. So I'm going to read these, and I'm going to pause after each of these sentences. There's four sentences, and I'm going to ask you in verse 17, I'm going to ask you to take verse 17 home in your own prayer journal or a piece of paper, write each sentence, get on your knees, and say, Lord Jesus, am I doing this? Honor everyone. Honor everyone. Afghan immigrants. African Americans. Democrats. Republicans. Honor everyone. Honor everyone. What am I doing? Honor everyone. Love the brotherhood. Am I loving the brother? Fear God. Proverbs tells us repeatedly, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. Fear God. Honor the emperor. Now, my friends, let me try to bring this boat up onto the dock and put it back on the boat trailer here. The prevailing society will, at times, speak evil against us. That's verse 12. When they speak against you as evildoers. And that speaking against us as evildoers will include the actions and accusations coming from the ignorance of foolish people. Verse 15. We need never be surprised. And secondly, we need never walk around and say, put ourselves as some kind of martyrs like we're there. Out, outstanding martyrs. Like this has never happened before. It's right there. It's, it's gone at some time, right? The prevailing society will at times speak against us and will bring actions against us that flow out of the ignorance of foolish people. But we have a way to deal with it. And Peter's been laying it out here. We have a way to deal with it. First off, Peter says, verse 11, abstain from the passions of the flesh that wage war against your soul. Abstain from the passions of the flesh. It's just good for you. Verse 12, be honorable in the way that honors Christ and in a way that is recognizable as honorable to an impartial public. Here I'm actually quoting the book of church order of all things. Honorable in a way that is honorable to the eyes before the eyes of an impartial public. Verse 12. 
For Christ's sake, be good civil subjects, verse 13. Which is God's will for us. And means we are doing good. Which is good for society, verse 15. And as gospel-liberated people, use our liberty to serve God and serve one another. Memories, manners, and mandates for God's minority people. Let's pray. Lord God, we come to you grateful that you converse with us, you talk to us, you commune with us and lead us. You even tell us what your will is. Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us hearts ready to receive and welcome your word and what you say. And where we have maybe moved far beyond the the fence line, bring us back and help us to turn around and come back. Lord, we want to do all these things we just talked about for your sake because we love you who loved us and gave yourself for us. That you might liberate us from a lawless generation and make us the people of God. So it's for your sakes. Your sake, we want to do these things. Help us. We confess to you we're not always very good at it. And so we cry out to you. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.